<laughs> uh, I guess I'll tell our viewers now, and probably again, that we are interviewing the illustrious Doug Robertson. Illustrious. Illustrious. If you and have. handsome. Oh yeah, that's right. And modest. <laughs> In, yes, <laughs> quite so. I love the modesty. All right, let me bring Felicity. Ain't no one bigger. more modest than me. <laughs> well, you sound like you're running for president of 2020. <laughs> we are a week before spring break. This is 3.15, 3.20 20. on Wednesday. We've got two more days left. Are you feeling the crunch at fifth grade? Is it fifth grade? Fourth grade. Fourth grade? Do you, do you guys feel the... Uh, I'm suddenly everything is coming to a head. Yeah. Right. It's like, I got so much to do and I have... Wait, spring break? No, it's not, I'm not ready for spring break yet. I have too much to do. So this is just like, uh, it feels like middle school teachers and high school teachers I know have this same feeling, but so even in the elementary world, you guys are feeling the crunch. Oh yeah, because like after spring break, everything is tumbling downhill at breakneck speed and you have no time to slow down and go back and get anything done. Like, Because we're going to slam right into the big test at the uh, end and then... Suddenly, it's report cards again. <laughs> do you have any, since we're in this stress part, and we're not going to go through all these things. These are just whatever comes up, and we just talk about stuff. And okay. if it happens to... We're recording, right? Yeah, yeah, that's all I Okay. So if it happens to <laughs> lag, then we can always pick out something different. And to make it a little bit goofy, we can go to this uh, flippity thing. Oh, flip. flippity. Somebody just listen. introduced me to flippity today. Really? Yeah, somebody sent me a link for uh, brackets. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. It was pretty cool. Speaking of, yeah, there's, um, have you ever heard of a, do you do any listening to podcasting besides being on podcasts? So I listen to podcasts, right. uh, I listen to a lot of music podcasts, guys talking about albums and bands and stuff like that, and some Sweet. sports podcasts, and I don't listen to very many education podcasts, because I get enough that's, teaching yeah. talk on Twitter and at school, and I write about teaching yes, constantly. Yes. So I kind of don't need any more of it in my life. <laughs> All right. I was going to say, I, I don't want to make it seem like we're doing a shameless promotion thing here, but tell me about your writing because I need to buy some of your books because I want to read about them. You need to buy my books. So uh, I've written three education books. They're, uh, He's the Weird Teacher is the first one, mm-hmm. and it's kind of an education philosophy book. It's, it's not how to teach fractions, but it's how to make fractions fun and how to make school joyful that kind of thing uh and then um my third teaching book is called a classroom of one Mm -hmm. and that one is specifically aimed at mentor teachers and student teachers because if i've got a soapbox that i want to jump on Mm -hmm. it's every teacher should take a student teacher every veteran teacher you're five seven years in Mm -hmm. you should be begging for a student teacher it is by far the most valuable thing you can do for your practice it's the best professional development because then you constantly have to do a thing and then turn to another person and explain to them why you did that thing which makes you realize why you're doing things and why you don't know why you're doing things and makes you a better teacher Plus, the only way, like, I'm taking nothing away from university prep programs, Mm -hmm. but the only way for us to truly strengthen the profession is to do it ourselves. So if I want other teachers to be really good teachers, and I think I'm a good teacher, Mm -hmm. I need to take student teachers to help turn them into really good teachers. Yeah, I'm with you. And that's what that book is all about. Because when you take a student teacher, you get very little instruction from the universities. They're like, okay, here. Mm-hmm. They have these things that they have to do, and that's it. And they check in. And student teachers get kind of the same. They're like, okay, <laughs> bye, have fun with your mentor teacher. So the book is about like four mentor teachers, how to work with a student teacher, and four student teachers, how to work with a mentor teacher, and hopefully strengthening that relationship as best you can. So those are those three books. My university's structure was I did four years, and then pretty much after I graduated, Four and a half years. That sec, that last semester. That's what it was. Was when I did my student teaching, and I did I, whatever half of a semester is mm-hmm. in one class, and then half of a semester is in another class. And yeah, you do the observations for a while, and then you slowly start getting involved, and then you. I had to solo for two weeks, I think. Yeah. Okay. So, so that that's what same. mine was like, and the student teachers that I've had here in Oregon 
are with you for the entire year. So they start oh, yeah, day one right. with us. Actually, before day one. So they help set up the classroom. I like that. And then they're here like five days a week for five or six weeks. And then they go to two days a week for the middle two quarters. And then they're back five days a week at the end of the year. I wonder if they're like how we went through where it's uh, where our last class, which is post-undergrad, or I guess you're kind of grad school, where we had... Um, Let's see, it, where it was just, fo- that one class was focused to student teaching. Or is it here in Oregon, do they have that full year? But is it a full year and they're still learning other stuff? The yeah, they're time? they're in their last year of their program. So they're also, that's one of the reasons that it's two days a week is they have gotcha. classes. See? And even then some days they're going and taking night classes. So those poor kids are doing <laughs> student teaching and then driving to the university and then having to go to class after teaching all day. Which is just, like, I don't know, I don't have a better way to do it, mm-hmm. but it's crazy a lot of work. Like, and student teachers, you kind of, you, it's jokingly, but you still tell them, like, say goodbye to all your friends. <laughs> you will see them again <laughs> this summer. Yeah. And I mean that in the best way. <laughs> and they pay to do this, too. This, right, this and is... they're paying to teach. <laughs> like, there's a lot of ways, I think, that we could revamp yeah. the student teaching system. There's just so many student teachers and not enough mentor teachers. That's crazy. So it's hard. It's hard to think about that. Then, here, let me shift this a little bit so it's in the middle of us. But I think that would be a great thing to share, it to, to put that and promote. How can we get more teachers, classroom teachers now, uh, screaming out and advertising, hey, bring your student teacher candidates here and we'll take them yeah you gotta i the way i always did it was i just tell my principal like because the principals are constantly getting contacted by universities will you take a student teacher so i told michelle um i want a student teacher and yeah that's our principal and she she reached out or hooked me up with a student teacher that first year. And then I told basically the university person the next year, like, I want another one next year. Cool. So just kind of continued that cycle. And that's pretty much how it worked in Hawaii, too, when I when I had a student teacher. Oh, you, were you teaching in Hawaii? Yeah, I taught in Hawaii for six years. So I went California, Hawaii, Southern Oregon, and then up here. What part of Hawaii were you teaching? I was on Oahu. So cool. the not the, the big island, right. but the main island, the one with Waikiki. So 80% of the population. Like, if you visit Hawaii, chances are you're visiting Oahu. So it's Lilo and Stitch, Oahu. Uh, I think Lilo and Stitch takes place on Kauai. Really? I think so, because it's way less populated. It's Lilo and Stitch is a pretty chill. I got to bring that up. Matt O'Reilly and Dexter used to teach in Kauai. Oh, cool. For a couple of years, he was out there. And actually lived in Hawaii for a long time. I love, loved Hawaii. Loved it. But... Hawaii is very expensive. What part, of, well, what part of California were you living? Southern California. Like Santa Barbara or like uh, Palmdale, Lancaster. So middle of the Mojave Desert. Oh, so okay, like, okay. So you're not uh, not in the coast necessarily, but no, uh, like an hour north of LA, hour, hour yeah, and yeah, a half yeah. north of LA. Okay. Yeah, I used to live in Santa Barbara. Middle of the desert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that, yeah, I guess that's over the, a little bit of the mountain range over there, if I can remember correctly. Yeah, we're in the middle of the Antelope Valley, so okay. in the middle of the mountains. So yeah, it gets hot over there. Yeah. <laughs> but I did, did you go to the beach a lot? As much as I could. Okay. Like, it was, that's what was nice about where I lived, was we were in the middle of the desert, but you're an hour from the mountains, you're an hour from the beach, you're an hour from L.A. Yeah, you have it. So it's hard to complain. Yeah. Oh, man. I remember, okay, I was in Santa Barbara for maybe a year, maybe half a year, and it was, of course, you probably know this because it's, uh, you know, knowing a lot of the cities in California, but we were right on the coast, right on the beach, Santa Barbara, and it was, the weather was incredible, mm-hmm. just unbeatable. I love Santa Barbara. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, you've been out there? Yeah. So, yeah. I used to work, I had three jobs there because uh, it was so expensive, and I was working, with, right. living with my brother and uh, my sister-in-law, and we still splitting rent three ways i still had to get three jobs to pay for a car to live out there was, and i didn't drive it it was just <laughs> car payment the gas is so expensive there yeah it was nuts but you can skate everywhere do you skate can you skate mm, i have a ripstick 
Okay, make but I don't. I'm not. I don't. So that that was never a thing. Where I get the, yeah, you got the moves. You I got the moves. <laughs> that was never a thing. That, like, I was never cool. <laughs> so I never skateboarded. Making up for it. Uh, Ed, Edna Finney. You remember that name? Say it again. Edna Finney. She's in your Google Foo. Yeah, yeah. All right. She. Yeah. She. Uh, she raves about you. That was one of the things that that reminded me to touch to reach out to you. Uh, she was saying that she's really enjoying and learning a lot through your. Is it a PGA thing? Yeah. Can you tell a little bit about that? What PGA is and what exactly you teach? So PGA stands for Professional Growth Academy, and it's one of the um, oh, what's the word? One of the act. I was right in my head, and then it went away. One of the things that the union is doing um, with grant money. Oh yeah, the collaboration grant. Yeah, is it okay? It's a collaboration grant thing. So it's the basic idea is teachers teaching teachers. So. Sweet. A bunch of teachers pitch ideas. I want to teach a class about blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And um, then the PGA committee decides on who gets to teach something. So last year and this year, uh, I taught what I call Google Foo, Mm -hmm. uh, which is basically taking over seven weeks, taking my class through the whole Google suite. So we look at Drive and Docs and Slides and, and... Depending on how advanced the student is, sometimes it's like, this is how you sign into Mm -hmm. Google. This is what a slideshow is. And sometimes you get to be a little more advanced with it. So last year I only taught the 1.0. And this year I pitched a 1.0 and a 2.0. And the 2.0 is more, um, you know how to do all the basic stuff. Now let's really play with it and see what kind of cool stuff we can do with our kids. And and, because it's all about... Not you know how to do it, but you know how to teach your kids how to do it so that your kids can do it. That's and your right. kids can create with these tools. Um, so that's the one I'm teaching. The only other one that jumps out in my head that sounds really interesting and I would love to take, except I'm too busy teaching my own, is there's a um, <laughs> multicultural books one, I think, by Amanda Jensen. Okay. And that one is looked really, really interesting. And she talks about all the books and authors that... We should be using so you're not just using old British white guys, you know? <laughs> well, you guys, in El- and for those who don't know, in elementary, you guys teach all the subjects. It's math, science, language, arts. Uh... Everything except for PE and music, and we get those in too when we can, when the PE and music teachers aren't here. Man, that's, I don't know. See, you, mm. for, in secondary, as a secondary teacher, to me, that's, it's a bit it's very intimidating to have to have that much content and juggle it at the same time. Um, but I really like it. Um, and I'll, I, like I said, I write a lot about teaching. I guess I never talked about, I do blogs. I, was, I write okay, blogs that's too. that's I want to ask you about. Um, my blog is he's the weird teacher.blogspot.com and that's updated every Monday night, normally by midnight because I don't write until my kids go to bed. <laughs> so I'm up really late on Mondays writing. Um, and that's like a weekly thing that I try to write about stuff. And I, one of my biggest struggles when I'm writing about education is I'm very much in the elementary school bubble. And I forget sometimes when I'm talking to other teachers or writing with other teachers in mind about middle school and secondary. Because right. I, you know... I'm think in my head, I'm like, you have your kids for eight hours, so you can do all of these things. And then middle school teachers are like, I have them for 40 minutes right. every day or every other day, depending on how the schedule is. And I'm like, that's right. So all of that advice and stuff that I just gave you is totally moot because <laughs> it does not work for you. And I need to get out of my bubble and, and think about that kind of stuff. Because I... The idea of having to teach basically the same lesson six or eight times mm-hmm. is terrifying. That sounds awful to me because I okay. think that third period I would be that would be my best lesson, and then by sixth period I would be like, I don't know what I've said to you guys. <laughs> That's actually I've said this so many times. <laughs> Have I told you this information yet? Do what? What? I don't know what I've told. And like looking at them, like, why don't you know this? That's right because you <laughs> haven't heard it yet. That's my fault. Um, and that just sounds like a lot. Plus, that's like grading 140 papers. And yeah. Stuff. That's like a nightmare. Exactly. I, I like having hard. one group of kids all day long, every day. It helps build those relationships. And I get to be flexible. like, cause, And again, because Michelle Cook lets me be flexible, mm-hmm. our principal, 
Um, but like if math is going to go long, I can make math go long. If right. language arts needs to go long or if I want to build something during language arts and it takes longer than it should, I, I have that freedom. I'm not tied to, okay, now they have to go to third period. Right. Speak to me about blogging. I almost feel like this is something that, I don't know if kids are doing these days. I, I feel like it may be a generational thing that we blog. I've just started playing with blogging, but do you think, or have students been able to use blogging at all? Um, yeah, so I use, I write, I've written for as long as I can remember um, because it's the only way I know what I think. Like, I use it as reflection. So I I have a relatively decent following of people who read what I write, but I don't write for them. I write because I need to. If I did not, I would go crazy. I would not know what I was thinking. I would not be able to reflect. I need... It's talking out loud. And I need to be able to do that. Um, and sometimes I just need to make a whole bunch of jokes all at once. So I use it for that. And then I also use it as a good way to, to share ideas. I'm doing this cool project. I'm going to write about it in detail. And then I'm going to share it with people. And you get sometimes you get really good feedback from people. Have you thought about doing this? Have you thought about doing that? And it's a good way to help evolve the projects. Um, so there's a lot of reasons that I write. And then I try to get my kids blogging. Mm -hmm. It's hard because there's only certain platforms that are really good for blogging for kids right my favorite one is called kid blog okay um I think I've seen but that. it's not free and so that's a little bit of a barrier to entry but i've played around with i think it's called edu blogs and i've played around with just using wordpress and none yeah. of those are as friendly as yeah as kid blog is for blogging specific let me see if I can ah. pull up blog. I'm, I have played around with Blogger. Just the That's where thing. I write. My oh, blog okay. is hosted on Blogger. Okay. And okay. Blogger is convenient because Blogger is connected to Google. So exactly. if you have a Google account, you automatically have a Blogger account. So that's mm -hmm. where my stuff lives. That's why I was wondering uh, if you've played with some of the native things that we have in the district. Here's KidBlog. Okay, yeah, it does look a lot more visually appealing if you check out KidBlog.com. It does look a little visually friendly for Org. kids to just drop in stuff. Org. Is it org? Okay. Yep. For organism? Is that what it's for? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, oh, yeah. And there's the yeah. terrible. It's free for 30 days, but wow. then you got to pay for it. But I think it's worth the money. Okay. Um, it's just annoying that you have to pay for it. Hmm. All right. But, like, I also understand that you can't really have free things. The internet has trained us that things should be free when things should not actually be free. That's like you true. should have to pay, if you want something good, you should probably have to pay for it. Like generationally, I don't think kids today, to sound like an old person, <laughs> are blogging. They're microblogging, which is Twitter. They're, right. and they're Instagram. vlogging. They're, they're making YouTube videos. Um, yes. And using those kind of apps. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that we should not be teaching them how to blog because right. it's writing. That's and right. it's communicating. And even if, like, I've watched my students make YouTube videos and they think that it's easy because they watch YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. And they have no personality and they don't know what to say. Right. Because they don't realize that being a good YouTuber is doing seven different jobs at once because you're script writing and you're producing and you're directing and you're doing sound design and you're doing yeah, all right. of these jobs and they don't see that. They only see the guy talking during his video game or unboxing something and it's like, yeah. okay, but what are the good ones and what are the boring ones? Because this is boring because it's got no production value and no thought. It's easy. It's like the Ryan toys. What is this? That kid? I haven't seen more than one or two, but there's that seven-year-old kid, I think. It's who... insane what people will watch <laughs> yeah. on Twitter. Or, or, or and again, it makes me an old person because <laughs> I'm like, I don't understand why kids today are watching these things, but I really, I don't understand the appeal of an unboxing video. I, 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 really, I would not, <laughs> I love instruments and motorcycles and I would not watch somebody take a really pretty bass <laughs> out of a box. I don't care. I and would watch them play it, yeah. but I don't care about it coming out of the box. <laughs> oh my god, what's inside? I, didn't know they came. Um, I guess they do come in boxes. It's been a while since I... But I'm an old, so like <laughs> I don't know what the kids today are into. Um, the rascally kids. 
But I think blogging is a really important tool that we should be using with our kids. And like that's one of Google Docs and Google Drive can be used as blogging. Like mm -hmm. Docs is right. journaling if you're smart about it. And it, you can share it, put it into a folder, put it on a website, share it. It's mm -hmm. still live journal. Right. You're just getting around Yeah, just getting around format, not paying that, for kid blog or yeah. whatever. Speaking by creative, I know a lot of our guests all five of them may be interested to hear about makerspace if you can tell us some of your uh, ideas or when it comes to makerspace a lot of teachers that i've spoken to love the idea they like the idea that kids can get creative from your perspective can you walk us through maybe the design thinking or the the process how a teacher would i, I don't know set up a lesson or introduce it to kids if they yeah. wanted to experiment I love it's that's another one of my big passions. Yeah, that's uh, recently, I guess in the last five years or so, is is having kids making and, and learning with their hands, um, because what I and I'm naturally drawn to this because I'm not a type A organized. Everything has to go like this and then like this and then all of the projects should look. I'm not good at that. It's not how my brain works. So I'm naturally drawn to the more hippy dippy hey man we're gonna learn stuff and let's see what happens it's okay it's gonna fail and that's all right like and i've butted up against other principals because of that because you need the right administrator that, yeah. who is okay with you doing those kind of things but the basic idea of using making in your classroom is giving the kids a goal and then the kids find their way towards that goal. The, the, the thing I always, my, the, the way I always equate it is it's like we're in Oregon and I want everybody to get to Des Moines, Iowa. I don't know why I picked Des Moines. I don't know it's why okay. we want to go to Des Moines. But I want everybody to get to Des Moines. <laughs> go. And then I'm going to get on my motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to ride my motorcycle to Des Moines. And you're going to get buy a plane ticket because you're smart and you're just going to fly to Des Moines. Somebody else is going to get in their car and carpool with three other people to Des Moines. Somebody else is going to ride their bike. Somebody's going to hitchhike. Or a horse. Or a horse. But we're all going to get there. Mm -hmm. And that's the point is that we all get there. And that's what project-based learning should be. I need you to learn X. And then I am mm -hmm. going to give you... Freedom within boundaries, which I think is the other thing people don't realize. They think like, it's freedom <laughs> and it's chaos and the kids will just learn <laughs> because candy. they're going. Yeah, and yeah. it's not, that's, it's very controlled. It's got bumpers. It's got mm. boundaries. But within those boundaries, vertically, it's very free. Be as creative as you want within this narrow bandwidth. Yeah. Um, and so making is making the design process. I'm kind of all over the place right now. With no, this. no, no, it's good. Uh, but the design process, at least in my class is design, build, test, revise. Mm -hmm. So anytime my kids do literally anything in my class, that's the thought process that they go through. You design it, which means you write it down, you draw it, you get the measurements, you build it, which is self-explanatory. You <laughs> test it. Does it do what I want it to do? And then you revise it. It didn't do everything that I wanted it to do, so I'm going to fix it. And the revision thing is super duper important. Um, but I have my kids do that with making first. So, like, we'll go and I'll say, make a wind-powered car. And that's all the instruction that I will give them. Make a wind-powered car. And they figure out how to make the wheels turn and they figure out that it needs a sail and they figure out how to attach the axle without me sitting on them, tapping them on the forehead with a pencil going, you have to do this now. Come on, let's go. Because mm -hmm. they know what they have to do. So they draw it out. They build it. They test it. It doesn't work. I'm going to fix it until it works. And all of that happens without me having to tell them this isn't working. You have to change it because they can see that it's not working. Mm -hmm. And then my job becomes making them reflect when we get back to class, what worked, what didn't work. If I let you redo this again right now, what would you do differently? If I give you another hour, what would you do to change it? Oh, yeah. That's cool. And then taking that process and using it against them. That's how I like to phrase it because it's funnier. <laughs> Constantly, because if you think about the design process creatively, it's the writing process. 
Mm-hmm. Build, yeah. write your outline. Um, or, excuse me. Uh, design, write your outline. Build, write your thing. Mm-hmm. Test, read it and edit it. Mm-hmm. Revise it, fix it. That's the writing process. It's math. If they're looking at a yeah. word problem, build your equation. Um, read the problem, figure out what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Build your equation. Run your equation. Fix your equation if it needs to be fixed. It's literally the scientific process. Yeah. But rather than <laughs> teach them that in those separate things, mm-hmm. I teach them it with making, and then we use it with everything else. Because they need to see that everything we're doing in class connects to everything else we're doing in class. And all of this is related. And all of this is generalizable. And I think making does that. Plus making self-levels. Because I, mm-hmm. in a fourth grade class, I have a student who reads at a first grade level. And I have a kid who reads at a seventh grade level. And I'm expected to teach both of them plus the other 30 kids <laughs> the same content. Mm-hmm. But if I give them a making project... Both of them are able to be successful. Both of them are able to do something beyond what they expected that they could do. And they give me completely different things that still fulfill the goal and still shows that they have done the learning. And it is so much more fun for the kids. It's so creative and it's hard because... And this is the other thing that making advocates and makerspace advocates don't tell you because everything's supposed to be rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> they make three or four bad things before they make a good thing. The process is terrifying. I've been doing it for years and we're in the middle of making stuff and I still look around my room like nobody's getting this. <laughs> and this is going to go bad and it's going to catch fire and it's going to sink into the swamp and it's just going to be not Nobody, nothing, no learning is happening. My principal's going to walk in and she's not going to know what's going on. But you push through that and you have faith in the kids that they're going to be able to do something and you let them surprise you. And that's awesome when they, I love it when they make something and I'm like, I never (laughs) would have thought of that. That's so cool. Um, Even if it's got like a little, it's normal and then one, like one little piece and then you get to push them, okay, make, because that's a revision process, mm-hmm. right? And that's what we, one of the things we need our kids to be thinking about is you don't do a thing and then it's done. Mm-hmm. You do a thing and then you make it better and then you make it better and then you make it better and then you have to decide at some point, when are you done making it better? But it's not, I turn it in and it's done and it's over. Right. Which makes, you know, assessments more flexible and more student friendly because it's, yeah. You you and that I, my kids just did a cereal box book reports and a few of them did real bad jobs, so I used the design process against them. Okay, everybody went. If you think your cereal box or your presentation needs revision, you have until Friday to revise it and do it again. So I'm using the language that they have heard before to encourage them do this better. And that hopefully eventually will be internalized within them that that is a choice. And that's like, I love my, I'm naturally, we, this project needs to be bigger. Mm -hmm. So if I come up with a project, I'm always trying to make it as big as possible and as scary as possible for (laughs) me first. Mm -hmm. And then you shave it down rather than coming up with a small thing Mm -hmm. and try, it's hard to make something Larger. It's easy to shave something back. Yeah. Um, so that's that, and that's all part of the design process. And it is in no way easy. It's risky and it's tricky and it's hard and it's messy and it's really fun. And the kids really respond well to it. They dig it a lot. Um, and I just I want more teachers to to take those jumps. And I need more principals. To give them that freedom. And part of what I get in here with that, like, I tell my kids, because you have to be explicit with the learning. What are you Mm -hmm. learning right now? And it's not we're learning how to cut cardboard. 
That's not a thing I'm supposed to teach you. Right. <laughs> that doesn't matter. It's for my trade. Right. Cardboard what do you? What are we learning that you can apply to other things? And mm-hmm. I tell them at the beginning of every project, you need to know. Because if Miss Cook comes in here and she just sees the room as an explosion of cardboard, she trusts me, mm-hmm. but she's still going to ask me, what are your kids learning? And I say, do you know what I'm going to tell her? And they're like, you're going to tell her what we're learning. And I say, no. I'm going to tell her to ask you because you should know. And they get this look on their face like, (laughs) and I'm like, right? Because it doesn't matter if I know what you're learning. Mm -hmm. I know how to do the thing already. It matters that you know what you're learning. So as you're working, you need to be cognitively aware of what it is that you are learning. Because if she asks you, you need to have an answer for her. And that forces them to realize that Mr. Robertson's class is not about making stuff because I want it to be fun and I like making stuff. It's about making stuff because this is how we're learning the stuff that we need to know instead of getting it just out of the math book or just out of yeah. iReady or whatever. We're, we're expanding our reach. And that's, that's meta. That's metacognition definitely for the kids to to put themselves to bring that camera out from behind their eyes and put it above their shoulders to see oh this is bigger than just snip snip this is not only uh, a, an objective but it's also accountability because now I'm representing Mr. Roberts and Robertson jeez and yeah and uh, you know I'm communicating with Miss Cook so yeah that's let me ask you something that you probably... <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> well, I tell you what. Let's go with this, the feeling of randomness. I'm going to go to the Filippity thing. And then I want to ask you... Filippity. I want to I I I see how you think about something that doesn't come up often, but I heard somewhere and it, it's got me thinking about uh, working in groups. Okay. So this Filippity thing, what I'm going to do is I'll hit... Or I'll let you hit one of these arrows and it'll bring up a random... I think I've got like maybe 20 different uh, subject areas that we just get to right, chat so about. we're on flippity.net. Oh, yeah, and I forgot to. Looking around. Where do you sign Oh, this is great. Fortnite. Okay. So this Wait, is You're going to make of... me click on the Fortnite thing? Well, no. This is, I mean, it's up to you if you want to weigh in on this one. I, I don't know. Because I know you're passionate about it. Okay, I, all right. I know nothing about Fortnite, but I well, like the good. video game one. Okay. I'm an old. I don't care about good. Fortnite. Okay. All right. Okay, so now well, so, I'm... So, we, well, now so here's the idea. Is now that the, the topic is up, what is your favorite video game? This is uh-huh. tough for, for Doug to tell us what his favorite video game is. I'd say, should we go... We have two categories, all-time and um, generational-wise. Like, was there a 90s game or an 80s game that you played? That kind of a thing. Uh, when I was a kid, I really liked that old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. The arcade with four players at the same time? Uh, it was on Genesis. I had a Sega Genesis. Okay. So whatever the one was on Sega Genesis. But now I've got um, a PlayStation 3 and a PlayStation 4 and an Xbox One. Because nice. um, I'm a grown-up. Yeah. <laughs> and I think my favorite video game might... It's either Bioshock or Red Dead Redemption. Two? Red Dead Redemption um, 2 or are you still on one? Red Dead. Two, I think two might be better than one. I really I'm on two. I loved Red two. Dead Redemption, the original Red I Dead. I and I just um, started a second playthrough of Red Dead 2. And nice. It's, it's, I'm in chapter it's six. So it's so good. Yeah. It's such a wonderful the game. The storytelling is insane. I'm, and I'm that, hooked. All of the acting and yeah. all of the random. Are you playing good? Like, yeah, I am this time, yeah. I have to play. I know. I, <laughs> in games where you have a choice, mm-hmm. I never play like Mass Effect. I'm like, I'm going to be a bad guy. And then you say one mean thing to one person that you're supposed to be friends with. And I just feel (laughs) terrible. And I have to be, I always play as Paragon (laughs) as possible. So I played Red Dead being a nice guy, which is so funny because you're like this outlaw who's shooting people. But then you feel guilty about it. And I say hi to everybody in town. Yeah, isn't that so much fun to like ride to (laughs) San Denis and just be like, ma'am, sir, how you doing? (laughs) Sir, and you just watch the little arrow going. Oh, you're nicer now. Okay, How you doing? Man. Looking good, sir. I like your it's face. So much fun, right? You got a nice face, Mister. <laughs> That's awesome. Ooh, 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 musical talent. You seem like some. I don't know if it'll go back. Yeah, you seem like somebody who knows how to may know a thing about too about music. Definitely history of music. But do you play any instruments? I I started playing bass nice. a year ago, electric bass. Kind of self-teaching or do you have... No, I've been taking lessons because okay. I'm, I'm a teacher so I need to like okay, yeah. take lessons. <laughs> do you have anything other than C, G? 
I'm getting all right. Um, I'm not like, I don't know (laughs) if I'm good or not. I can play some songs and... Uh, I I decided I was going to learn how to read music at the same time. Yeah. Because I, I wanted to be able to read music. Not just tabs, but not just actually tab. notes and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So I, I can read music um, and play. I can't sight read and play at the yeah. same time because that's hard. I've only been playing for a year. But I'm, I think it's a lot of fun. It's the hardest thing that I've ever done. And I trained for a half Ironman. So I feel like that's... A, but I... Music is one of those things that I was convinced I couldn't do. Like, because in middle school, I think, I held a trumpet in the school right. band, and I held a violin in the school band. But I never I never learned how to play them or anything. Mm-hmm. And that kind of got in my head. You can't... You're never going to learn how to read music. You're never going to be able to play an instrument. And then that just kind of constantly got... Reinforced, and I had friends who could play instruments and friends who were in a band, but it always seemed like this impossible thing that I don't know how to do and my finger, I'm never going to be that coordinated. And then I got to college and one of the prerequisites in my education program was you had to take music theory in order to take music for children. Interesting. And music theory was like one of the hardest classes I took in college because <laughs> they like made us play a song on the piano where your left hand was doing something and your right hand was doing something right. different. Right, your feet if you're doing pedals. Then. Right, and I... Now, I didn't practice as much as I probably should have. You'd have an old lady helping you with the... But at the same time, I couldn't do it. I could not do it. And I barely, 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 barely passed that class. And then Music for Children was like, I didn't have to learn... I didn't have you to know how to play the piano and music for play? children. I don't know why I had to take this prerequisite. <laughs> I'm still mad about it. Um, so that deepened inside of me, like music, music is not a talent that you possess. It's not a thing you can do, but I always, I want to be a rock star. It's yeah, cool. You, you kind of had the, the, uh, the um, outside appearance of the least. Right. Image, yeah. yeah. So last year I finally decided like, I'm going to see if this is the thing that I am capable of doing. Sweet. And if I suck at it or if I don't like it, then I'll stop. So I bought the cheapest possible thing, you know, this is like two hundred and fifty dollars. Got me a bass and a stand and this tiny little amp, and I started Sweet. taking lessons and really enjoyed it. So, what kind of bass could you have? Now I have a um, I bought a Fender Jazz bass. I bought a Getty Lee Signature Series because right. if you're gonna buy a Signature Series, you have to buy Getty Lee because Rush is the greatest band that ever existed. <laughs> that um, may actually be one of our things. This music, I freaking love Rush. <laughs> Um, so I bought a Getty Lee Jazz and it's perfect and it's, it's so much fun to play. Sweet. Actually keep that, all right, keep that in mind that there is a bass player or a budding bass player because it seems in our generation there's a lot of lead guitarists and rhythm guitarists. Nobody wants to play the Nobody bass. Nobody wants and to play I always bass. really liked... It's necessary. You need that. I like, yeah, it's the better, I feel like this, I, cause everything freaking comes back to teaching with me. <laughs> Even when I don't want it to, like... Mm-hmm. I'm watching a movie and I'm like, this is a, this is a metaphor for teaching. And it's not a metaphor for teaching, but in my head, like the Lego, the first Lego movie, yeah, 100% a metaphor for teaching. 100%. Because the conflict in the first Lego movie is the guys who need to follow the rules directly versus the builder, the, the master, master builders, builders who just want it to be free. But when the master builders try to make something that actually works, everybody's doing their own thing mm-hmm. and it sinks into the bottom of the ocean. I didn't think about so that. So you need to have like the freedom matched with the structure. The structure and that's how things are actually creative. And I mean like watching the Lego movie going, this is a metaphor for teaching. <laughs> you ruined I'm it so <laughs> lame right now. I can't just enjoy this movie. Um but <laughs> What were we talking about? Bass? Yeah, bass. It's about? necessary. Uh, oh no! Oh, so want. that was that was another thing where it put me in the mindset of my students, and I didn't do it <sighs> thinking about how it's going to infect my teaching. But at the same time, it was I'm learning to do this thing that I have never done before, and I'm struggling with it, and it's hard, and it's like I know this is a really simple scale, mm-hmm. and I just can't make my stupid fingers do it and um learning that learning going through that whole process so that made me appreciate my students more 
and what they're going through. And then on top of that, the role of the bass is to set the bedrock mm-hmm. for the band. And it's the it's the link between the percu- the uh, the rhythm and mm-hmm. and the melody. Yeah. And teaching is not lead guitar because lead guitar is the guy like out in front. Wow, look at me. And teaching is not <laughs> vocals cuz it's the guy out in front. Wow, look at me. Teaching ideally is connecting the students to the material and then letting them be lead guitar. Yeah. I think so that's, teaching that's is like bass. It's like playing bass and that's in my head now. You, yeah, you're facil- you're making yeah. everything Happen. else possible because if you have a band that is a bad guitar player, like you can kind of get away with right, that. Right. But if you have a band with a bad rhythm section, it's super obvious and it doesn't it matter how good your singer or your guitar player are because your songs will sound dumb. So you need a good rhythm section, and that's what teaching is. That's not. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Everything does kind of look toward the bass. The rhythm looks toward the bass to, to kind of work in conjunction. The uh, you know lead guitar is probably going to be leaning back on those beats that the bass provides. And the bass has to look at what the lead guitar like. He's playing in A, so that means oh, yeah, I have to be playing in A, and I'm following him, just like I'm letting the kids. Mm-hmm. lead where we're going while at the same time the drummer is controlling everything mm-hmm. like the curriculum is controlling yeah, everything because right. i'm a nerd so <laughs> everything this like is a, this is teaching i'm like, like at a behemoth <laughs> concert you know you're like Russell this blood uh, that he's spitting <laughs> reminds me of how i teach fractions He's so lame. I'm so lame. <laughs> the digits themselves are all the blood. Right. Like Russell Crowe in A Beautiful Mind, you're starting to see all the, the tessellations. Right. And it's I'm, it's so bad. It's like... <laughs> nerd. I'm your, such a nerd. <laughs> so I'm so fun at parties. You're, <laughs> you're married. Does your uh, does your significant other have to put up with your stuff? She uh, She's a teacher, too. Okay. Oh! She, she was a special ed teacher. Um, and then when we started having kids, she decided to be a stay-at-home mom. Right. So, like, she's not a quote-unquote teacher right now, but she, she will is. be once the kids are back in school. I was going to say, I don't think it ever leaves you. Even teachers who right, retire, yeah. quote-unquote. She's a teacher. Yeah. She's just not... She's in remission, I guess. And teaching. We'll be teaching she's, again soon. <laughs> she's momming right now. And that's... We know that's what that's Which like is already teaching and 9,000 other things. Yeah. All right. Sweet. Uh, let's see. We have any... T- oh, before Did you need to end, get to something? I do, thought? but before we need to end, I want to get your take on this one. Last bit. So when you have kids, they're doing the makerspace, they are building. Have you ever... When you're observing, I know you do, you know, you'll do your observations and watch kids work. Do you... Do you notice a difference between... Uh, what is it called? Cooperation, and that simply means everyone doing their roles but working next to each other, and collaboration, where kids are actually needing ideas off of each other. Do you ever get to see that happen in makerspace? Most of everything that we do is group work. I don't. Mm-hmm. I rarely, 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 if ever, have them building something all by themselves because I want them working together and I want them valuing each other's input. So it's more collaboration than cooperation in my class because that's one of those 21st century skills. (laughs) They need to be able to work together. And I want them to see the strengths in each other because the kids know, like, that kid's struggling in math and that kid doesn't read as well as I do. Mm -hmm. But I need them to also notice, like, He's really creative when it comes to this and this and this. And he had a really good idea for this and this and this. So they are able to value each other and understand that smart is not a a solid thing that is immovable and immalleable. Solid is a uh, smart is a is a fluid. Mm. And smart changes and smart can grow. And I want them to understand that. Um, so the collaboration thing is, is very important. And a lot of the time that's most of what I do is just problem solving and helping them, which is another aspect of making and working together is mm-hmm. teaching them to interact like humans. Right. And like we want humans to interact with each other. Um, this is how you talk to somebody. This is how you disagree. This is how you work through that disagreement. And it's not this 
floaty, we're going to role play now thing. It's real time. This has to be solved. And if this isn't solved, then your thing will fail. So they have to, you have to figure out how to work it out. It's cool. And yeah, make you, I really, making informs so much of what you do in your classroom, I think. Sweet. If you're creative with it. Yeah, I was going to say, we can probably work way out in any uh, class or discipline to get some making. Not necessarily needing to have cardboard, I imagine, but just the process of being able to have an endpoint and to say you're free to get there any way you can, but let's go through the you know kind of the design thinking of there is going to be editing, there is going to be revision and testing. Yeah, and really it's that's the, the real key is is it's design thinking and, and it's student based mm-hmm. student driven student choice and it's not that i'm letting them have total freedom like i said you give them a goal and you give them parameters to work within because parameters make you do better at something total freedom is terrifying well, it's like when we have god cheats on our games if we it's, do that it's, yeah, it's like not fun. Yeah, it's boring after a while yeah and my way of doing those things is through making, but making doesn't have to be with cardboard. Making doesn't have to be with Legos. Like right. Google, like we were talking about, Google has a million tools. My kids make stop motion movies with Google Slides. Oh, sweet! You're doing that's that. making. Yeah, it's not. It's digital making. Mm-hmm. They know how to make videos. That's making. It's all like. The idea of siloing something that is literally about being creative is crazy to me. <laughs> That's it's just the, making it's templates. the antithesis it's like the, of yeah. Like anytime somebody tries to package it or bottle it or sell it, it's like you are missing the point of what this is. It's not, it becomes more of a here fill out this template as opposed to here's some art media go nuts like try to meet us the way you can right uh, like when we back years ago facebook was a big thing and and uh, teachers were saying oh let's have the kids make a facebook page for you know their uh, make a facebook page for george washington well which sounds fine but you're creating the template you know this is exactly what i want to see and all you have to do as a student is just fill in the blanks and that that again is one of those things that like, it's not a bad idea, but it, like you said, it's a fairly simple, low cognitive load idea that is one of those things that always feels like that Steve Buscemi meme of like, hey, fellow kids, where he's got the backwards <laughs> cap and the skateboard. I have to see that. That's great. I haven't seen that. Um, where it just feels like the teacher being like, I'm hip. And... I know you kids today. You like your Facebook. <laughs> and your Snapchat. So we're going to do some Facebook and stuff. <laughs> it's like when teachers are trying to connect Fortnite to their yeah. lessons, which drives me insane. <laughs> That's why I put that on there. It's that a shooter. Uh, why are you bringing that into your classroom? It's li- the, the gameplay loop is literally shoot something in the face. We don't need any more of that in school. Um <laughs> That's neither here nor there. <laughs> but the, the, but anytime we try to connect <laughs> something to the kids to make it relevant to them, what right. we're actually doing is saying, I cannot make this interesting without pandering yeah. at my students. And, mm-hmm. try. and that's not like I will talk about Pixar movies and and things that I know are interesting, but I'm not like looking for. We're going to make a Twitter account for George Washington. Right. What would George Washington tweet? And you could probably get really interesting stuff out of that. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing that simply because the kids today, they're on Twitter and they will <laughs> think this is neat. They, like the kids see through you. Yeah. <laughs> and they know that you're old and lame. <laughs> and you should. we should embrace the old lameness. Yeah. And you said. Because you can be interesting anyway and yeah. make it a joke like when i try to talk about popular things i i don't know what's popular i'm not plugged in <laughs> so i will still reference justin bieber as a popular musician nice. and it's just fun to watch the kids be like what is wrong <laughs> with you he sucked for like 10 years oh, and i'm like really okay uh the spice girl probably bad time to bring up r kelly but right <laughs> 
Capital Law. All right, I'm gonna hit the red. Um, anything to tell the Oh yeah, audience if you about? want to um oh, yeah. follow me, I'm yes. on uh, the Twitters at the Weird Teacher. Um, also on the Instagrams at the Weird Teacher. If you want to see so many selfies of my handsome, handsome face. <laughs> Um, my handsome, modest face. Uh, I, all of my writing that you can read for free is at uh, he's the weird teacher mm-hmm. And if you go on Amazon, uh, they're an ebook or paperback. He's the weird teacher. The teaching text, you're welcome. <laughs> and um, a classroom of one. There's also a novel called um, The Unforgiving Road because. I wanted to write a novel that had nothing to do with teaching, so it's a post-apocalyptic biker game novel uh, that I think is really fun, but tens of people have read. Because when you are known for writing teaching stuff, and then you're like, here's something that is completely unlike anything (laughs) that you like that I do, it's hard to sell that. Um, But it exists. So all of those are online, and all of those are priced for teachers because they're written Ooh. for teachers. Because I cannot stand education books that cost twenty five dollars or more. Oh, I get it. You're stealing then. from teachers, and it's not cool. Uh, I'm yeah. not writing books to make money. Yeah. I have a job. I'm writing books because I have books inside me that need to be written. Looking at you, Ron Clark. I screw <laughs> that guy. I hope they leave him on the. I had a lot of fun, as I seem to always do with interviews, interviewing the very modest Doug Robertson at Powell Valley. Thank you to Michelle Cook for believing in the weird teacher. Definitely check out his merch on Amazon. I'm going to see if I can get the Multnomah County Library to stock them for those of us on a restricted budget. Makerspace, from what I'm learning in our district, is experiencing quite a movement in the elementary schools. And I know the Rockwood branch of the Moltco Libraries hosts almost daily events of Makerspace for all ages. And they had to switch to online reservations because the attendance was so popular. The middle school equivalent to all this is STEAM, which I understand just two of our five campuses have dedicated teachers. Perhaps that will change... But you don't have to be a Makerspace or STEAM teacher to get in on the fun. Reach out to your instructional tech coaches. That's me or Elizabeth Ross Miller or Aaron Shepard. We work with your ideas and integrate the design thinking or the hands-on tech. And I'll drop a little rumor here for listeners that typically wait until the end credits. GBSD is planning local community support for a mobile tech lab. That means we can bring the pricey hardware to your campus. We've been working closely with the brains behind Beaverton's Future Bus, so give them a Google and see where we're headed with all this. And again, if you or an educator you know would like to be a guest on this show, please send an email to me at hey5 at gresham.co. We know the rest.